Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. It's designed to help you take your next step with Jesus. And if you need additional help on how to do that, we have a Next Steps page on our website that you can check out. Also, if you haven't been able to attend a service at any one of our campuses recently and participate in the time of giving, you can give anytime you want online by visiting our Give page or by texting to give. We hope that God speaks to you in this sermon. Take care. These are questions that you asked us to answer. We compiled the results from a survey we sent out to over 10,000 people. There are a lot of people who, who don't necessarily feel the permission to really struggle with these things and wonder out loud about these things here in church. Let's be gracious as we enter into these topics. Let's be aware of differences. Let's be open to what God might want to teach us. And let's approach each of these weeks with our eyes wide open. We say, I believe. I believe that Christ's death was for me. I believe his resurrection is my resurrection. I believe he paid for my sins. That's actually my hope and prayer for all of us today. That we would experience the Jesus that can and will radically change our lives. When World Vision uh, decided to dig a well in the African village of Walamo, they were warned not to. They were told not to bother. A local witch doctor had cursed the entire village. They were told that calamity would befall any organization that helped Walamo. Well, World Vision ignored the warning and drilled through solid rock, and soon the locals were drinking cool, fresh water. Word got out and the surrounding communities restored trade with Wilamo and the problem was resolved. The widely accepted explanation was that Francois's God was more powerful than the witch doctor's God. And who was this spiritual giant, Francois? He was the leader of the drilling team. His training had nothing to do with spiritual matters, but he was a Christian, and so he, he agreed with them. Yes, he said, my God is more powerful than your witch doctor's God. My, my God got me an education. My God got me the equipment. My God changed my heart, so I wanted to come to this village. My God brought me here, showed me where to dig. I dug, up came the water. Yes, my God is more powerful than that guy's God. American missionaries often face this very same clash in culture and worldview when they move to other countries. Sometimes they find themselves playing catch-up in places where the spiritual explanation for anything good or bad that happens is widely accepted by everyone but the missionary who shows up with scripture verses and rational arguments and biblical logic that falls on deaf ears. The Western missionaries arrive with practical solutions, nutrition, hygiene, fresh water, but sometimes they must first face a spiritual showdown with a local shaman. And like the Old Testament Philistines, the question that is often asked is, well, we'll see whose God is more powerful. Sometimes the missionaries get quite an education in spiritual warfare. Hey Cornerstone, how you doing? It's gonna be a great morning uh, because what you said you wanted us to preach on, the number one response when we asked you was, 
hey, what's happening in the spirit world? Preach to us about the spirit world. So we saved the best for last, and today I'm going to walk us through as much scripture as I have time for in order to help us develop a truly Christian view on this topic. And as I approached this topic, I was aware that uh, your experience and preconceived notions about uh, demons or angels or ghosts is going to uh, affect what you hear uh, that I say, uh, depending on how you were raised, and even including your ethnicity. You naturally lean in one direction or another when the pastor talks about spirits because you either come from a spiritualistic worldview or a naturalistic worldview. The spiritualistic worldview holds that there are good and evil forces active that affect us. There's a lot going on that we can't see. The vast majority of the 7.5 billion residents on planet Earth hold to some form of a spiritualistic worldview. The rest hold the opposite perspective, a physical or material or natural worldview that assumes that if you can't see it, it probably doesn't exist. Uh, this view, which is more prevalent in Western nations like ours, is a belief that everything can be explained scientifically. If someone holds a physical worldview, then the assumption is that for the most part, we are in control of our own destinies or physical forces are in play. This person puts little stock in belief about angels or demons. Now, this is actually a relatively modern way of thinking. Before the 18th century, there were few people anywhere in the world who thought like this, but then during the Enlightenment, uh, naturalism led educated people uh, away from supernatural explanations and toward more material ones. In our day, however, we've started to move back towards the center. Uh, most of us are, are open to, be, to learn about these things. And since the Bible has a lot to teach us about this topic, it becomes the Christian's go-to handbook regarding the spiritual world. Let me take you first to the Old Testament and then to the New Testament, and then we'll talk about some practical application of what we're supposed to do with what we've learned. We'll start today in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. Isaiah 14, 12. Uh, when we first start reading this chapter, it seems that the prophet is calling out a human king. But then the longer we read, we see that Isaiah is addressing a spirit, an angel, a powerful, prideful, fallen angel, the angel that the Bible calls Lucifer or Satan or the devil. Take a look at verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, but you are brought down. Now, when you keep flipping, you get to Ezekiel, and Ezekiel calls out the very same uh, enemy, Lucifer, the fallen angel. Ezekiel says it like this in chapter 28, verse 12, you were a model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God, blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. You were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. 
So I threw you to the earth. Lucifer's pride got the most of him. He rebelled from God, convincing other angels to join him. These fallen angels are the demons that oppose us to this day. All right, let's go back past uh, Isaiah to Genesis, where soon after the creation of human beings, we see Satan at work in the Garden of Eden, where he successfully deceived human beings. Then Cain murders Abel, and since then, evil spirits are a very real force on the earth, influencing human behavior. As the story moves forward, we pause in the book of Daniel, where we get a glimpse of powerful, invisible forces in conflict in the cosmos. You're going to want to spend some time in Daniel, right around chapter 10, where Daniel fasts for 21 days, and then an angel appears to him, telling him about intense cosmic battles raging over Persia. The angel tells Daniel that as Daniel began praying three weeks ago, this angel was sent from the throne room of God with the answer to Daniel's prayer. But then on the way, the angel was thwarted for 21 days in a battle with a powerful demon that he refers to as the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Finally, the archangel, Michael, brought reinforcements so the angel could slip through the lines and deliver the news to Daniel regarding future events. And then the angel rushes back to join the battle again where demons and angels are in fierce combat. Now, sometimes in the Bible, people can see these angelic warriors. One of my favorite stories is found in 2 Kings chapter 6. When the Arameans are attacking Israel, the prophet Elijah is constantly being given military intelligence by God, and he's telling the Israeli king where to find the next Aramean attack. This infuriates the Aramean king. So he decides he's going to have to take out the prophet Elisha surrounding the city of Dothan where Elisha lives. Elisha's servant awakes and goes outside to see the Aramean armies all around Dothan and closing in. He knows that they're there to kill Elisha, and he panics. But then Elisha prays, asking God to open the servant's eyes to see what Elisha sees. Those who are with us are more than those who are against us, Elisha says. And his servant's eyes are open to see on all the surrounding hillsides angels with swords and chariots of fire ready to attack the human beings. As the Arameans attack, Elisha calls down blindness on the enemy soldiers, and they are all blinded. And then, in a move that would make any Jedi proud, Elisha approaches the commander of the blind armies and says... This is not the city, this is not the road, and this is not the man you are looking for. Come with me, and I will lead you to him. They follow him blindly right into the hands of the Israeli king. Well, the Old Testament is full of human interactions with angelic beings. Abraham and Sarah, Hagar, Jacob, Joshua, Elijah, to name a few. Then the Old Testament ends and the New Testament opens with the angel Gabriel appearing to Zechariah, to Mary, and to Joseph. 
A heavenly host appears to the Bethlehem shepherds and again to Joseph a little bit later. It's not just good angels that are active in the New Testament. The arrival of Jesus, the Son of God, to planet Earth provokes great opposition from the devil's camp. Satan arrives in the wilderness to tempt Christ. Demons react to Jesus throughout his ministry. When the disciples rejoice that demons are subject to Christ's power, it triggers one of his memories, and he says to them, you know, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Then on Jesus' night, uh, final night, before his arrest, angels are with him in Gethsemane. And on Sunday morning, the angels are back, but now to roll away the stone and to talk to the disciples. They are there at the ascension of Christ to heaven, and they speak to the disciples. And then after Pentecost, an angel rescues the apostle Peter from jail. Throughout the book of Acts, the church leaders confront and defeat demonic forces. This conflict between good and evil carries on to this day and will not end until the end of days when, as John writes in the Revelation chapter 19, all of the fallen angels will be cast into the lake of fire. And that will be a great day for redeemed human beings. So what's our response to all this? How do we successfully navigate not only the physical world, but the spiritual world? How do you respond to your neighbor when she tells you she has seen a ghost? Or she says she's paying a medium to contact her with her dead uh, mother? What do you say when your kids want to watch Ghost Hunters or uh, The Haunting of Hill House? All right, let's just let's talk about ghosts. What are they? Uh, do some people turn into ghosts after they die? Do they roam the earth? Do they haunt houses? where they once lived, are the dead trying to communicate with us? And should we try to communicate with them? Now, depending on what survey you read, 20 to 48% of Americans believe in ghosts. And many of those people feel they've been in contact with the dead. Are they in contact with the dead? Or are they encountering someone else? Is it possible that evil spirits are deceiving them? I mean, it's one thing to believe that something is out there, and it seems that something is. But it's another thing, literally, to interpret what that something is and to know what our Bible tells us to do about it, the, this existence of spirits that we cannot explain. Our Bible is clear. You should never attempt to reach out to a dead relative through a medium. Why? Well, for two reasons. First of all, because the Bible commands us not to. Passages like Deuteronomy 18 strictly forbid us to attempt to communicate with the dead. Here's what it says. Let no one be found among you who is a medium or a spiritist or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. How to not be detestable to the Lord? Stay away from trying to communicate with the dead. And this one reason should be enough for us, but there's a second reason as well. Bible verses like 2 Corinthians 5.8 and Hebrews 9.27 teach us that after death, human beings go into the presence of God or they go into, uh, to await judgment. What they don't do is stay around to haunt the earth. 
So if you're encountering what you think is a person who has died, it's more than likely you are being deceived by a demonic spirit. It would be very easy for a fallen angel to imitate someone that you know. It would be very easy for them to call out facts that supposedly only that person would have known because that demon was very much alive when that person was alive. Fallen angels can easily take on kindly appearance. And that one of the devil's name is the deceiver. Therefore, I encourage you to stay away from any interest in ghosts. Any spirit that is not God's spirit is not to be trifled with. The spirit world is real, and we should not dabble in it just because we're curious about it. Unless, of course, you want to invite demonic harassment into your home. Now, you don't need to be afraid of these fallen angels, but you also shouldn't intentionally open up lines of communication with them. If you want to get to know a spirit, get to know the Holy Spirit. God is the spirit, and he will always help you. And he is by far the most powerful spirit in the universe. He's the only spirit in the universe that creates instead of destroys. He, 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 he will protect you from the one who seeks to devour and I will say this, if you ever have had an, uh, you feel like you've had an, uh, an encounter with a spirit that troubles you, and you'd like to talk about it, our pastors are equipped to meet with you, to share scripture with you, to pray with you. Uh, we have learned through casting demons away that at the very name of Jesus, the demons fly. Simply reading the word of God out loud does wonders to clear the room. Now, I've got, I'm going to move on and talk now about more about demons and angels, but I will say this. Um, we do talk about this topic more in the Beyond Sunday video series that we've been recording. We recorded last night, so it'll be posted uh, sometime in the next 24 hours, 48 hours t tops on YouTube. And uh, you can see these recordings that we do after we preach, and it gives us another 30 minutes or so to unpack a topic. All right, let's go to where the New Testament, where Paul teaches us what to do. Paul says, our struggle is not only against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, leave that up for a minute, please. There. Thank you. Notice how Paul doesn't refer to evil as an impersonal force. That's Star Wars. Evil is personal. It's not just a feeling or a force that can be tapped into. Evil has faces, spirits, working a strategic plan using different methods in different countries. Thank you. There are powerful and organized spirit personalities be behind the physical evil we all experience in this world. When Paul refers to them as rulers and authorities, one of the Greek words he selects here is the word kosmokraton, which is translated gods of this world. The cosmos is peopled with demonic gods that are trying to dominate the planet. Until we accept the existence of evil spirits, we will never understand evil's depth or reach and, and, and who it is that is leading people to do unspeakable things. There's just not another acceptable explanation for the amount of evil in this world. 
When a shooter plans an attack on a nightclub or a synagogue or a school, when a terrorist straps on a bomb or drives a vehicle onto a sidewalk to mow down innocent people, that person did not come up with that idea on their own. We've passed the place where humanistic thinking once led us to conclude that there were purely sociological or political deficiencies in that murderer's past that caused them to want to do such terrible things. Maybe they were bullied. Maybe they have PTSD. Maybe they are mentally ill. Of course, all these things could be true, but still it's not enough to merit what they did. The sheer magnitude of their evil actions has no rational explanation. Often the people who know them the best are the most surprised. This level of violence is more than we can explain unless we take demonic influences into account. Andrew Del Banco, a professor of humanities at Columbia University and self-proclaimed secular liberal, wrote a book a few years back called The Death of Satan that opens with this statement. A gulf is opened in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources to cope with it. We have jettisoned the thought of cosmic or supernatural evil. We don't even like to use the word evil. We speak instead of dysfunction or pathology, but it has gotten harder and harder to explain away ethnic cleansing, serial killing, and terroristic acts against innocent civilians, that these actions are solely caused by people with mental sickness that could have been treated with the right therapies. We cannot account for the pervasiveness of evil in our world. Something else is at work among us. Well, I have to say, as a Christian, I appreciate it when secular academia takes the spiritual world into account. I think it's a very wise and holistic approach. And it resonates with our Bible, which reveals evil spirit personalities who partner with people to carry out terrible things. And Christianity doesn't discount psychological or sociological or political reasons for some of the bad things that people do to each other. But we know that there are invisible forces at work as well. There is a devil and there are demons. And any belief otherwise is dangerously naive. Now, a great book on this topic is an easy read. It's uh, C.S. Lewis's 1942 classic, The Screwtape Letters. And if you haven't read this book, you'll want to get it uh, and, and read it. It's, 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 it's a fun read about the devil. Uh, in one of the letters, Screwtape, this uh, senior demon, this trainer mentor, instructs Wormwood, his protege, on two opposite errors that people make. On one hand, he says, it's the people who overestimate Satan's power and Satan's activity. They obsess on him. They see the devil at work in every bad thing. But on the other extreme is the people who underestimate the devil's reach and, and, or even disbelieve in him entirely. Screwtape tells Wormwood that either of these extremes is fine with him. Overestimating the devil's power keeps a person busy, focused on the devil. Everything that happens to them must be the devil attacking them. But underestimating Satan keeps the person from recognizing that the devil really is up to hassling us and is after us. The apostle Peter makes it very clear, warning us not to underestimate our enemy. Be self-controlled, Peter says, and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion 
looking for someone to devour. Recently, uh, my son Andrew took his son, David, to the Oakland Zoo. And uh, he sent us a picture. He ended up posting it as well, a little video, because he, Andrew was fascinated. You know, you take your kids to the zoo, and oftentimes you have more fun than they do. Because animals really are amazing. And uh, Andrew spent some time watching this large cat that was obviously uh, stalking something that was outside of uh, the barrier and actually was behind Andrew. So Andrew was kind of uh, pretending that the cat was stalking him. And then he realized, no, the cat actually is looking past me at some little critter or something that it would like to get uh, its fangs into. He turns around and what the cat is stalking is his own son. David. David's just playing and being, you know, almost two years old, and this cat is just thinking, if I could just get out here, I could get an appetizer, get on with my day. And at that point, the video was not funny at all. Peter says, that's the devil. You can't afford to be naive. You are being stalked. And if there are not barriers between you and the devil, this hungry lion is going to get an easy meal. Resist him, Peter says, standing firm in the faith. James promises us that we can resist the devil. And when we do, he will flee from us. We don't have to be afraid of Satan or any of the fallen angels. But we do have to be full of the Holy Spirit in order that we will be able to actively resist them. Paul challenges in Ephesians chapter 6 to stand up to the devil's schemes. The word scheme is the Greek methodia, uh, obviously, methods, strategies. Your enemy has divined intelligence strategies that he uses against you all the time. Uh, he knows you better than you know yourself, and he knows what can get you to stumble. Uh, he can play your tune. Let me explain it like this. Open up the lid to a piano and hit a tuning fork and, or, or just sing a note loudly. And as you're doing it, reach down until you find the one string that's, that's vibrating. That's the note that the, the, the fork played. That's the note that you sang. And that's exactly what the devil does with you. Satan cannot create the piano. Satan cannot make a, a good piano a bad piano. What he can do is sing different notes until a string vibrates, and then he plays that note over and over and over. So if you're already bitter and unforgiving, he can play that note. If you're prideful, he's got your number. If you're greedy, he'll play you. If you're naturally fearful, then he'll play on that fear. If you're filling your mind with pornography, then uh, he accentuates those thoughts and plays them often. If you're a gossip, he makes sure he sings you plenty of new information that you can share with other people. <clears throat> whatever sinful tendency that you normally have, whatever part of you that you're holding back from allowing the Holy Spirit to tune you, that's where the devil most successfully plays you. That's why we sing in the hymn, Come Thou Font, tune my heart to sing thy grace. 
A smart Christian invites the Holy Spirit to tune them uh, so that every string vibrates with God's song and makes it much more difficult for the evil one to play his music. Uh, it, it can be so frustrating to the devil when we have spent quality time in Christian fellowship, quality time with the Lord, uh, allowing him to tune us to his frequencies and tune out the devil's voice. When we think about temptation, we're wise to evaluate what was it in the past that caused us to stumble? Why did we fall uh, in, in that way? Was it because we were overconfident? Were we trying to meet some need in the wrong way? Did we linger too long, too near to temptation? Were we uh, away from uh, accountability? If we ask the Lord, he will reveal why the devil succeeded with us in the past and how we can be prepared next time. For some of us, the devil has played on our insecurities, getting us to do whatever we have to do to obtain approval. He convinces us that we are weak and vulnerable. We might as well give in. We can ask the Lord to strengthen us and give us more confidence. For others, it's the exact opposite. We're too secure. We're too confident, making us prideful. We don't believe we have very many weaknesses, so the devil has a heyday with us. Some of us are prone to fear, so the devil keeps us from faith. But some of us could use a little more fear because we constantly take foolish risks, making it easy for us to make big mistakes. For some of us, temptation comes when shiny things are dangled in front of us, hiding the hook. For others, it's not new toys, but, but, but pleasure. So the enemy can make a sinful experience look pleasurable to us. He also knows when to tempt us. When we're the most vulnerable. For some of us, he's most successful when we are tired or discouraged. He waits till you're tired. He waits till you're down. And then he whispers in your ear, your life's never going to get any better. You don't deserve any better. You might as well give up and give in. For others of us, it's when we are away from accountability. Maybe you're out of town on a business trip. The devil whispers, no one will ever know. And you deserve this. You've been working very, very hard. This doesn't work. He switches and whispers accusation in your ear. I know what you did, he said. You're a phony. You're not even saved. Well, it's so important that we evaluate the strategies that have worked on us because then we can begin to ask the Lord to retrofit us and prepare us for the next attack. We can select specific scriptures to memorize. Did you know you can just Google? And you can, you can, you can ask Google anything. She's better than Siri, actually. Is Google a she? I don't know. But you can just say, the best scriptures about fear. And up will come 10 scriptures, and you can pick three of them, and get them onto a card that you'll carry with you, or get them onto your phone where you can get it up. And then when you're, when you're in line at Starbucks, uh, um, you, can, you can say, hey, instead of checking Instagram, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on my scripture. Uh, if you go to DMV, you can memorize the whole Bible. <laughs> well, you got to redeem the time somehow. It'd be great for you to ask yourself, if I was the devil, how would I attack me? The question is not if he will attack, but when. So you prepare for it wisely. 
Back to Paul, who says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. He uses the, the image of an uh, Olympic wrestler. And these wrestlers would, would train for years to, protect, uh, per, to uh, uh, perfect their moves. But they also would rub their bodies in oil uh, in the days before a match because they would make their skin slippery so that the enemy wouldn't be able to get a grip. You know, you can do something like this as well as you prepare for your wrestling matches with the devil. The Bible describes the Holy Spirit as oil, so part of our preparation for spiritual warfare is just to spend time in prayer asking the Spirit to be in us and on us, allowing the oil of the Holy Spirit to cover us before we enter into battle. Luke tells us when Jesus entered into the wilderness, uh, to fight the devil, he was, he was full of the Holy Spirit. Satan threw his best moves at Jesus, but Christ slipped out of Satan's grasp each time. Well, Paul goes on to, in Ephesians 6, challenging us to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. In other words, don't be, try to be strong in your own energy in order to fight a powerful, tempting demon. A human being on their own has no chance against an angel, fallen or otherwise. But with the Spirit of God empowering you, that demon has no chance, not, not, not a chance of, tempting, uh, 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 of succeeding when you are tempted. And you have nothing to be afraid of. Remember, just because you believe in spiritual forces doesn't mean you have to fear them. Paul equips you for battle against evil forces. Put on the full armor of God, he says, so when the day of evil comes, you see that word when, you may be able to stand your ground with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So we dress ourselves in spiritual armor. And I picture Paul in that uh, he's under house arrest when he writes uh, Ephesians. And I picture him just looking over at the centurion that's guarding him. And he says, you know, you make a great sermon illustration, pal. Would you stand still? I'm just gonna start off with, um, the belt, and, and the, the Roman centurion, would, uh, it's not just a belt like we wear, it's a, it's a series of pieces of leather and, and hooks that hold the whole thing together. And Paul says what holds all of the, our armor together is truth, God's truth. Makes sense, I mean, the devil's name, Diabolos, means liar. Everything that he will throw on you is based on lies. So in order to counter the devil's lies, we just put on truth, God's truth, biblical truth. That's back to the memorizing of scripture. When you memorize scripture, you are dressing yourself in truth. Paul tells us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, hook that truth now to righteousness and cover all your vital organs. Uh, the devil accuses you and attacking you at your very heart, questioning your righteousness, but you put on the breastplate of righteousness. You're not uh, fighting the devil in your own righteousness or even your own strength. Yeah, of course you know you're not good enough. His accusations about you are true, but here's the deal with Jesus. He covers us, and his righteousness is what dresses us. Christ's righteousness is your bulletproof vest, so put it on every day. On your head, let the helmet of salvation protect your mind. The devil tries all kinds of mind games. 
but your mind is being renewed by the Holy Spirit and protected by your salvation. In one of your hands is the shield of faith that absorbs the fiery arrows. In the other hand is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. You memorize scriptures for those times when you will be under attack. And just like Jesus, when the devil comes to you in your wilderness, all you do to fight him is quote scripture, which, by the way, is the most effective, most proven way to get the demons to leave you alone. They hate God's promises. They hate the red letters. When you feel like they are near you, just open your Bible and read it aloud until you feel the peace return. Paul dresses Christians like soldiers because we are soldiers. The world is a battleground. Uh, on one hand, our enemies already defeated foe, but they're not going to truly be bound until the end of days. When we're adopted into God's family, we also join his army, an army that will come under attack. Expect to be attacked. Don't be surprised when the devil opposes you. Be flattered. It means you are a threat. He would not attack you if you were going his way. He would leave you alone. So the very fact that you find yourself under attack is a, is a sign for a moral victory and a celebration. Don't celebrate too hard because you need to fight. But the reality is you're already won because greater is he, what is it? that is in you than he that, now say it with me, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Not only can you resist the devil, you can go on the attack against him. His number one prize is human beings and you can bring rescue. You can free people from spiritual bondage through intercessory prayer. The devil thinks he has already won your neighbor. He already has your coworker. He, 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 your stubborn family member is never going to change. Friends, the battle isn't over. And God's spirit is stronger. If you join with God's spirit to intercede for someone else, you can see victory and breakthroughs. You can win victory after victory. Like the apostle John writes, whoever has been born of God conquers the world. And who is the one who conquers the world? The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Is that you? What? Is that you? Like David wrote, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. Are you God's anointed? Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses but we will trust in the name of our God. Well, that's enough. That's enough for me. I think it's time for us to pray. And um, our prayer today is gonna be intercession. We're gonna ask those that, that have identified as I've been preaching that you are quite possibly right now under uh, some spiritual attack in your life. You may have already known that, and that's why you came to church, but it may have just occurred to you as I was preaching that the events and the things that are happening around you and the way that it's affecting you, uh, even overwhelming you, 
is pointing to the fact that maybe it's more than just life happening. Maybe there's a strategized, orchestrated attack going on against you or your family or a family member. Someone you know that you want to intercede for, but it may be you. So if that is you and you would like us to all join together in prayer for you, I'm going to ask you to stand and identify yourself saying, you know, I think I am under spiritual attack. Who are you? All right, now we're going to move toward these people. So if someone stood anywhere near you, would you stand and make sure they know they're not alone? Don't let anyone be alone. Is there anyone who stood near you and you see they're still alone? Um, Go ahead and get up and move toward them. All right, now everyone else, let's stand. And uh, you might even want to extend your hand to a specific person that you'd like to pray for. Now, we're not going to have any spectators here. The Bible talks about agreeing together in prayer. So that's what we're going to do now. I'm going to lead, but you're going to pray too. What are we going to be doing here? We're going to be interceding for our brothers and sisters who are under spiritual attack. We're going to stand firm with them to resist the devil. We're going to break bondage right now. The Bible says that we have been given authority to bind and to loosen. So we're going to use the authority to bind the devil and to loosen chains that are around our friends. And they're going to walk out of here free of the devil's attack because it ends right now, right here. That's that's a pretty powerful prayer time. So I really am depending on all of us to agree together as I pray. Father, I come to you now in the powerful name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, the demons flee. We say the name Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, Jesus, our Savior. Oh, Jesus, our King. Oh, Jesus, the one who defeated the devil in Gethsemane, who defeated the devil on the cross, who defeated the devil in the tomb. Jesus, the only God, the Son of the Most High. We pray with the authority that Jesus gave us that this attack on our brothers and sisters, which offends us deeply, would come to an end now and the devil would would be that you would fight against the devil as we stand firm send your angels so that the demons would flee and get away from our friends and family lord we pray for those that are praying for prodigals that are that are out there that are fighting addictions that are fighting mental illness that are fighting physical things that are attached to spiritual things that are rebelling against God. And we pray that that your spirit would break this bondage, that you would bind the devil in their lives and not allow the devil any more of a foothold in their lives. Jesus, we call upon you and upon your name to bring freedom 
to bring peace back into these people's lives. Lord, I thank you that they had the courage to be here today and the courage to stand. Help us now to come in as their reinforcements and to intercede for them. Help us even to remember this week, even if we don't know their name, to remember them that we prayed for today and to keep praying. And Lord, we want to hear stories of victory. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. And all God's people shouted. Amen. Amen.